Church, if you could just have a seat. And I'm, as you're having a seat and getting, I guess, comfortable, I'm just going to give a, a brief introduction into our uh, guest speaker today. Like I said, it's Pastor Rex. He's on vacation these next two weeks. And we, over the summer, we've seen different faces and different voices on the pulpit. And we have another one today. And so this morning, we're going to welcome Jeff Kephart. Uh, this morning, uh, and if you're not, if you don't remember, True North Church is actually part of the Missionary Church Conference. We talk about this in our, you know, uh, new folks luncheons and also our uh, new members uh, class that we always do. And so, uh, so Jeff, he's actually the uh, East Central Region Director of the Missionary Church, and he's going to bring this morning's message. And with no further ado, welcome Jeff. Thank you, and thank you to all of you. It is very, very much my privilege to join you today. Let me function in my official responsibility as regional director of the Missionary Church East Central Region and bring you greetings from the 30 churches and 3,000 persons who are joining you today as part of that region in honoring God and worship services all across Ohio. And I also want to say thank you. I don't get enough chance to say thank you for your partnership in the work over the years in helping us fulfill our regional vision, which is to partner with the Big C Church in Ohio to represent the gospel of Jesus Christ to every man, woman, and child. So thank you for your partnership in that. You will find an outline for today's sermon in your bulletin. You can pull that out. Um, If you are one of those really detail-oriented people, you'll be very careful to get all the right fill-ins, and you'll see me after and go, I wasn't quite sure on number four, and that's okay. If you're not one of those people and you're going, I don't like those outlines, but you want to humor me, you can always doodle on the back because I can't see from here. Right, So I'd be able to, oh, look, they're filling it out. I wouldn't know. You can also keep the paper, and you can make paper airplanes later on, or you can start small fires. Now, neither of those should happen during the service. We just want to clarify that, but later on, that could be handy for that. Let's go to the Lord and ask for his blessing, and then we'll allow him to speak in these next few minutes. Pray with me, if you would. Awesome Heavenly Father, I come to you with the recognition that I have nothing to say. Never have. Oh, I can talk a lot. There are a lot of people who can attest to that. But my stuff doesn't make a whit of difference. If your living, active word is declared in this place, heaven is advanced. Hell is shaken. Eternity is influenced So may your living, active word take precedence in this moment. Erase my stuff, but establish your voice. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord. Our rock, my redeemer. Amen. Let me begin by saying that uh, if we were to start, there it is. By evaluating with a statement that the last 20 months have been a challenge to the church in America, I'd be giving you a massive, massive understatement. Yes? It has been one crazy time for the American church since the start of 2020. I just want to highlight three of those things just to give us some context as we begin. Three challenges that came to us as the church In 2020, and by the way, it's not done yet, right? It's not done yet. 
it's still unfolding after 20 months or so, but it started back in 2020 with this pandemic thing. If someone would have come to my office in January of 2020 and said, hey, Kephart, you better get ready because around March, end of April, churches will be closed. In fact, businesses will be closed. Persons will be indoors. Everything will be shut down. I would have said, that would never happen. It happened. And it was an amazing challenge as church after church after church scrambled to go, what are we going to do? We, we don't have our Sunday morning service anymore. How are we going to get the word out? How are we going to make things happen? And, and how, is, how does Facebook Live work anyway? And they were scrambling to make it all work. And interestingly, that wasn't the hardest part for the American church. The hardest part for the American church is when they let us start meeting again. Because I know this probably didn't happen in your church, but maybe churches you know. There was a bit of stress about how the rules should be applied. To mask or not to mask. To social distance or not social distance. To let this program occur or not occur. And oh, how we as brothers and sisters wrestled and disagreed and even got a little stressed. And then on top of that came George Floyd and Brianna Taylor. And that whole flood of social unrest that flowed over our culture, protests, things that look like riots perhaps, and the question of racism raised. Are we racist? Are we not racist? How are we racist? Are we systemically racist? I don't know. How do we explain all of this? How does the church respond? And oh, how we as Christians wrestle with what the right response should be. And then, oh, by the way, did you notice there was an election last year? And interestingly, the church, not you, but Christians you know most likely wrestled greatly with that one too. Can you be Christian and vote blue? Can you be Christian and vote red? Can you be Christian and vote for that guy? Can you be Christian and not vote? Can you be Christian and vote? And oh, how we wrestled. And into that, the devil has continued to stir into this. Let me, okay, just let me give you one word to let you know that it's not done yet. How do you feel when you hear the word Delta? Yeah, see, it's not done yet, is it? <laughs> We're still wrestling as a culture with how this is going to unfold. And the devil has stepped into it and sought to stir division. That is the big threat, you see. The threat is not how the church handles a pandemic. The threat is not how the church engages politics. The threat is not the question of how the church engages social upheaval. At the base of everything is this simple threat. The devil seeks to steal and kill and destroy. And can I say this? He doesn't care how he does it. He just wants to kill us. And if division works, that works just fine for him. And he seeks to steal and kill and destroy and stress. And i got to be honest, I've been in ministry for 35 years. And I share our general concern as churches that we do not compromise doctrinal truth. Amen? We are people of the word of God and we will stay faithful as people to the word of God. And 
compromise of the word of God is a dangerous, dangerous threat. However, let me be honest, in my 35 years of ministry, I'd have to say I've seen just as many as not more churches come apart because of relational stress than I've seen from doctrinal stuff. Devil doesn't care what weapon he uses to destroy us. If division works, great. And so it might be wise for us to kind of learn from an old historical character. Uh, You probably recognize him from your history books. Good old Benjamin Franklin. Benjamin Franklin was a statesman, politician, um, an all-around wise guy. And I mean wise guy in the technical sense. He, he, he did wise cracks all the time. He was really good at smart-alecky comments. So I just want to share a couple of them to just set with you. How about this one? Said Ben Franklin, Guests, like fish, begin to smell after three days. And then there's this one. Three people can keep a secret if two of them are dead. But one of the wiser things I think Ben said was what he said as the signers of the Declaration of Independence were putting their John Hancocks on the bottom of that document. This is the quote. We must all hang together or most assuredly we shall all hang separately. And if Jesus was to hear Ben say this about the church in 2020, 2021, and beyond, he'd be nodding his head. Yes, that is certainly critical and important. Because, you see, the church is not about religion. The church is about relationships. It's not about religion. It's about relationships. Let me give you my definition of religion. Religion is the stuff I got to do to make God happy so he'll leave me alone. What is the minimum do's and the minimum don'ts that I can get God off of my back and be sure he doesn't zot me with a lightning bolt until next Sunday? What's the minimum to make God happy? Um, attend church. That's, that's important. Yes, we all agree. Attend church. We'll certainly do that. Attend church. It's important. How, how much? Is 40 out of 52 Sundays enough to duck the lightning bolt? Think you can miss a Sunday each month and God still wouldn't withhold his lightning hand? Well, there's other things you could do to kind of make him happy, right? Religiously, you can give money, right? And if you really want to get brownie points, give him 10%. And if you really want to give him 10%, give give him your gross, off of your gross rather than your net, right? You get brownie points for that. What else do I got to do to make God happy so he'll leave me alone? I got to be a good person. Yes, you should. Yes, you should. Be a good person. Um, my standard, 7 out of 10 people in the Walmart checkout line. You got to be better than 7 out of 10 people in the Walmart checkout line. Trust me, it's a low bar. <laughs> Look next time. Okay, so I'm behaving and I'm giving money and what else? Well, if you really want to get brownie points, you serve, you serve, right? You serve in the church. You ush, you deek, you eld, right? And then God goes, that's good. What do I got to do to make God happy? So what are the do's and the don'ts? Brothers and sisters, people come to me every now and then say, I don't want anything to do with the church because I hate religion. And I say, that's wonderful. Jesus wasn't for religion either. 
He was for relationships. Do you remember? The teacher comes to him. They've been fighting literally for centuries before Jesus came. The Jewish professionals. What do is the most important do? What don't is the most important don't? Out of all the rules and regulations, which one's most important? They turn to Jesus and they ask him that question. And here's the story. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? What's the most religious rule that's most important, Jesus? And Jesus says, The most important religious rule is not a religious rule. It's relationships. The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. Love the Lord your God. Isn't that interesting? What a a relationship word. Love. He could have said obey the Lord your God. He could have said serve the Lord your God, right? Instead he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he finishes going, there's no commandment greater than these. So unless Jesus flunked grammar in school, there's no commandment greater than these. Bad subject verb agreement, yes? Maybe what Jesus is saying is there is no rule more important than caring for the relationships that you have with God. And with others. That's the most important rule. You see, relationships are the main tools of ministry. If I was the devil, I'd come after them too. Because if I can sabotage healthy relationships in the church, I can destroy the purposes of God through his people. It's about our relationship with God and our relationship with others. And by the way, it's not an either or. <laughs> you, can, you don't get to pick which one you like, right? I know you would never say this, but have you ever heard anybody say, you know, this church would be great if it wasn't for the people. This church would be awesome if it wasn't for the people. I'll tell you what, I'll do the God thing. I'll be holy and righteous and stuff. You do the people thing. Um, you don't get to choose that. It's, it's both and, not either or. And Jesus speaks into that and says, relationships are so critical to the church, I will make it the sign to the world that people actually follow me. You remember he said that in John 13, 35? And this is how they will know that you are my disciples. If you, this is how all men will know that you are my disciples. If you go to church, if you give a tithe, if you're better than the average bear, if you love each other, right? That's how they'll know. That's how the song goes, right? And they'll know we are Christians by our church attendance, by our church attendance. No, that's not what I learned when I was a kid. And they'll know we are Christians by our giving. No, and they'll know we are Christians because we're good, because we're good. No, no. And they'll know we are Christians by our, by our, oh, they'll know who we are Christians by our. And I have found myself asking a very hard question over the last 20 months. So what does the world think of the church? As they've watched us. In this last 20 months. 
You see, relationships are key. Relationships are critical. So you wouldn't be surprised, would you, to find out that Scripture gives some very strong statements about caring for relationships. And I want to share three of those with you today as we continue on. Three keys to healthy relationships with other Christians. Intentional connection, relentless reconciliation, reproductive DNA. Let's start with the first one. Intentional connection. This, this picture is going to help me. I want you to identify this character. If you are my age, it will not be a problem. If you're younger, you may see this picture and go, why is that weird guy wearing that outfit? Ready? This guy. Who is that? The Lone Ranger. There couldn't be a better picture for American individualistic thinking than the Lone Ranger. What's his first name? Lone. Not bunch of people with me, Ranger. Right? Lone Ranger, able to handle it all myself, able to do everything on my own, able to rise up and save things and be completely self-contained, except even he wasn't. Look at the picture. Remember, even the Lone Ranger had Tonto. And Tonto bailed him out of more than one mess, if you remember the show, right? He was in a bunch of messes. Tonto bailed him out of all kinds of things. You see, because even the Lone Ranger knew he couldn't be lone. So, brothers and sisters, it would be critical for us as Christians to realize that when it comes to scriptural relationships, there's no such thing as personal, private Christianity. That is a wonderful American concept. That I can be a Christian all by myself, alone, no connections, completely on my own. That's a very American thought. It is not a biblical thought. I'm going to stick my neck out and say this, in fact... A balanced reading of Scripture does not support the concept of personal, private Christianity. It doesn't exist in Scripture. You telling me that a person can't be saved and, and then never have any connections with relationships? Here's what I'll tell you. Theoretically, a person can be saved practically not for long. Because there's no such picture in Scripture of the rugged individualistic Christian who keeps their Christianity private to themselves and never connects or shares with anyone else. We were meant to be connected. You'd better have Bible verses for that part. I do. I have Bible verses for that. Let me, let me watch. Let me show you Jesus first. By the way, who is, who is, who is the person we're to emulate? Jesus. If anybody knew how to do ministry, it's... And if we're churches that are following God, we should follow the model of... Thank you. I was just checking. Okay. We are called to live in connection and community with each other. Jesus, first of all, did not set up 12 separate coaching appointments. He did not call private coaching appointments to himself. He did not walk by the Sea of Galilee and go, Hey, Peter! I want you to join me in a personal journey of individualistic fulfillment. And I want you to meet me on Thursdays after your filet time, after you're done with the fish. Let's try Thursday at the local fish place about six at night. Can you do that for me, Peter? And oh, by the way, um, you, Judas, I know you're really busy down at the bank. Uh, 
maybe you can meet me on Saturdays after the bank closes for coffee. You and I personal talk each week. Oh, and, and, and Thomas, um, could you meet me on Tuesday? Oh, I doubt it. Okay. Jesus did not call personal coaching appointments to himself. He called a group of disciples to himself that lived life together for years. They went everywhere together. Spent time together. They didn't meet once a week and check in. They were there. Don't you, wouldn't you love to run the video back and watch some of the interactions that those persons had together as they spent years with each other? Let me just give you one snapshot. The Mount of Transfiguration. You remember? Jesus is going to go up to the Mount of Transfiguration. He's going to meet some people up there. <laughs> right? He goes, Peter, James, John, you come with me. You other nine, stay down here. I want to watch the DVD. As Peter, James, and John, and Jesus are walking up the mountain, I am sure, I am sure that Bartholomew turns to Thomas and goes, Peter, James, John, Peter, James, John. It's all we ever hear. His little favorites, Peter, James, John. I think that happened more than once because they had those little fights. Who's the greatest? Who's most? And yet Jesus said, this is how you do it. In community and relationship with each other. And when you do ministry, I'm not sending you out one by one. Nobody can be a Lone Ranger. I'm sending you out two by two. Why? Because even Lone Ranger needs Tonto and Tonto needs Lone Ranger. We can't do this by ourselves. I know all of you have this verse somewhere very close to your hearts. Hebrews. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 10. Let me find it. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Just a little aside. When was the last time you were at a good spurring session? Hey, hon, I, I, you know, thanks for dinner. I'm going over to church for the, for the Thursday night spurring session. We're going to go and spur each other on. Uh, usually most of us aren't big into the whole spur thing. But it did say that. Let's see how we spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Anybody, are we all in agreement that, that when the writer of Hebrews wrote this, until now, we are now closer to the day that he's referring to. The day is closer than then, right? So whatever he just said, we should take it more seriously because all the more as you see the day approaching. Do you notice it says, do not forsake meeting together? You know, I know you don't do this, but, but I'm fascinated by Christians who read this and somehow read this to say, don't miss Sunday service. It's fascinating me. They read Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 to 25 and go, that means don't miss Sunday service. Well, can I be honest with you? Don't. <laughs> Don't miss Sunday service because that means if you miss Sunday service, it's 14 days till you have a connection, right? That's not what this means. It means we must make sure we stay connected with each other. We must, we must, 
We cannot afford to not be meeting together and watching each other's back because we get isolated out and separated out and the devil can pick us off one by one. We need each other and cannot survive long term without healthy, intentional relationships that are built beyond the programs and systems of a church. Want more proof? How about the 21 and others, right? The 20 plus one another. Throughout all the New Testament, right? Love one another, serve one another, exhort one another, show hospitality to one another, forgive one another, and on and on and on. Can I, can I make a simple point? I know you're all aware of this, but let me make the point. You can't one another without another. Hello? If we're supposed to be one another, and it takes one another to one another with. Right? So if I don't have a one another, then I'm not one anothering, and that means that at least 20 plus of the things I'm supposed to be one anothering with somebody else, I'm not one anothering because I don't have anybody to one another with. So we want to make sure we have those one anothers. <laughs> These instructions from Scripture clearly require a relational context. There's no such thing as a personal private Christianity that can be tended with a couple of connections a month. We need each other. So my challenge to you is go and build intentional connections. Can I be honest? I know you would never do this, but you know people, right? Who do this? Pastor, I, I used to get this call, pastoring churches. I still get this call in the office that, that I now serve. The pastor never calls me. The pastor never visits me. No one ever invites me to their things. Nobody ever calls me and invites me to that gathering or this gathering. No one ever calls me. Can can I be direct? So you call them. You call them. Be the first one on your block to start a movement called I'm Intentionally Connecting. Hello? Be the one who starts. We can't live without them, so go get them. Intentional connections. Well, you're still here, so let's do two. (laughs) Relentless reconciliation. The second thing that is a critical relationship principle. Relentless reconciliation. All over the world, millions of Christians today and regularly are praying the Lord's Prayer. Here's a piece of it. Forgive our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. Let's do it traditionally. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Time out. What would you just say? Could it be that you just said... God, forgive me as much as I am willing to be forgiving and keep relationships current and healthy in my life. I think we just said that. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Why would Jesus stick that in the middle of such an important prayer? Because relationships are critical to him. And they're critical to us. And the health of our relationships is so passionately important to him that guess who he gives the responsibility to care for your relationships? 
Well, I'll let him speak. First of all, therefore, he says, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you. So get the picture. Somebody is ticked with you. And you find out that somebody is ticked with you. Let me give you the, not you, but the American way of doing this. And someone is ticked to you. This is how this should finish. Just go on and go to your worship service because if they're stupid enough to be frustrated, they can call you if they want it fixed. Amen? I I mean, that seems to be the very American thing to do. I'm going to the worship service after all. I'm honoring God here. If they want to be the losers who want to be mad, they can call me. You get the catch. That isn't what he said. Actually, what he said is, park your car at the edge of the road, pray, and go back and get the relationship fixed before you come to church. I didn't say that. He said that. (laughs) Just look. Leave your gift in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. In short, if someone was upset with you, you go fix it. If somebody's upset with you, you go fix it. Well, what if I'm upset with someone? Jesus has that too. If your brother or sister sins, in most of your Bibles, there is a little um, letter there that, that references a note that says, many manuscripts say sin against you. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. So, quick summary, if you're upset with someone, go seek to fix it. Okay, so here, Reader's Digest condensed version of Jesus on broken relationships. If someone's ticked at you, you take the initiative to go fix it. And if you're ticked with someone, you take the initiative to go fix it. Questions? Yeah, I know. The elephant in the room is, what about them? What about them? Answer, you are the only person on earth whose decisions you can control. You can't make another person do a single thing. And so if, indeed, Jesus was passionate about relationships, wouldn't you expect him to say, since you can't make anybody else do anything, I'm going to ask you to take the initiative because relationships are that important. Strong stuff. How much does Jesus care about relationships? You do everything you can to fix it. Well, what if they don't want to fix it? Thank you for Romans, Jesus. Thank you for Romans. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Sometimes in a broken world, it's not possible. Sometimes they don't want to reconcile. But don't give me that. I don't think they want to, so I'm not going to ask. That's not what Jesus said. As far as it depends on you, you seek to reconcile relationships. Ruthless, relentless. We've got to get this fixed because the devil can use this against us to to plant a bitter root that rises up and harms many. We cannot let the devil do that. Intentional connections. Relentless reconciliation. You're the only person whose actions you control, so don't wait on others. Be a peacemaker. I tell people, in America, we think Jesus said we're supposed to be peacekeepers. Blessed are the peacekeepers. 
keepers. In other words, we value the fact that everybody at least isn't fighting. And if we can keep them separate from each other and not bump into each other, somehow Jesus will be happy about that. That's not... Do you notice that when the UN does peacekeeping, who gets shot? The peacekeepers. And when they're gone, the fight just continues because no peace was made, you see. It was just keeping it separate somehow. Jesus says, I don't need peacekeepers. I need peacemakers. Well, that's going to be risky for me. Yeah, did anybody let you in on that whole cross thing? Kephart, Kephart, you remember the whole... Um, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me and the life I live in the body. Kephart, remember that part. Yep, it's risky. And yes, relationships are that important to me. Intentional connections, relentless reconciliation, and then a third piece, reproductive DNA. Our relationships need to have reproductive DNA in them. I call them PBT chains. Not my, not my phrase, but uh, I have, I have the, the phrase is mine to remember it. Peanut butter toast chains. God wants us to be reproducing disciples of Jesus Christ, and that requires peanut butter toast chains in our life. Whenever the, the Lord uh, requires of me that I have to store up a bunch of supplies and food for the possibility of an upcoming crisis, when I build my cellar and I put all of my stuff in it, 90% of it's going to be peanut butter. Because peanut butter is just the genius food of the universe, as far as I'm concerned. Amen. Preach it, brother. But it just helps us remember because peanut butter toast chains stand for Paul Barnabas Timothy chains. Paul Barnabas Timothy chains. I got to say this as strongly as I can. Reproduction, reproduction of disciples is not a church program. The reproduction of disciples is not a church program. It is a relationally driven disciple-to-disciple process. The church supports it. Church programs can assist it. They can feed it. They can train it. They can encourage it. But if disciples are going to be made, the church doesn't. Or Well, well, let me help you. Okay, if the church does, I need you to just look at each other and remind yourselves, you're the church. Who's the church? We are. So that means you're the church. So look at somebody next to you very quickly and go, you're the church. You're the church. Okay, kind of trying to remind ourselves. You're the church if the church is the people of God and relationships are the keys to multiplying disciples. A set of three that every believer needs to have to be reproductive. I believe the fact that these are absent in many churches is the reason the American church is struggling the way it is to multiply disciples. We need a mentor. We need a fellow soldier. We need a disciple intentionally. We need a Paul A mentor to share wisdom and to show the way. This is Paul speaking, and Paul says it this way. Even if you had 10,000 podcasts for Jesus, even if you have 10,000 Facebook feeds of great preachers, 
Even if you've got fantastic books, supplies, and you live in a culture that has access to more biblical teaching and information than any culture ever on the history of this planet, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to what? Imitate me. You hear what Paul's saying? All of us need spiritual fathers, spiritual mothers that aren't there to give us information. They're there to show us the way. They're the persons who God has put in our families, in our connections as churches who have been living the life of Jesus. And we need those persons. We need to be able to approach them and say, I see Jesus in you. Can I just spend time with you and learn from you? And I just want to imitate what you're doing. Just, I just want to spend time. Watch how you work. Spend time. Teach me what it means to walk with Jesus like you do. Do you have that person in your life? Do you have a spiritual mentor? Second, Barnabases. Uh, Barnabases are friends with permission to encourage and challenge us. Friends to, with permission to encourage and challenge us. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. Don't you think it's kind of cool? Who is, what's the name of this guy? Joseph, right? But after this one phrase, all he's ever referred to as is Barnabas. You know what that means? Everywhere he goes, people go, there's the encouragement guy. There's the encouragement guy. There's the encouragement guy. There's the encouragement guy. Wouldn't that be cool? Do you have encouragement guys and girls in your life? Persons around you who you've given permission to hug you when you need it and kick you when you need it. We're better at the hugging than the kicking. But do you have somebody in your life who you have given permission? I'm going to share with you, when I need a good hug, I need a good hug from you. And when you see me doing something crazy, call me on it. Call me on it. Go, what are you doing? Where were you last night? What was that again? What's happening there? Do you have, you, do you have people in your life who you've given permission to do that? And then the last one's Timothy's. Timothy's are the people we're building into. Timothy's are the persons who we see have potential in Jesus Christ. Paul talks so affectionately about Timothy. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope. To Timothy, my true son in the faith. Do you have Timothy's in your life who you are intentionally seeking to connect relationally with to build the joy and power and love of Jesus Christ into? I know not this church, but there are actually churches out there where there are teens sitting in those churches through their whole teenage years and they never have a single adult look into their eyes and say, you are someone who is blessed and encouraging and have great gifts for Jesus and you're called to do something great for him and I just want to encourage you and pray for you. Imagine that. Imagine that teenagers could go through their whole church careers and never have an adult do that, right? You're not going to let that happen here, right? I, I know you don't. But just in case. Do you have Pauls and Barnabases and Timothys intentionally in your life? Can I be honest with you? Then go get them. Go get them if you don't. 
That is the key to reproduction. They're not accidental. You have to go and, and intentionally <laughs> find them. They don't usually wander around the church going, Hi, I'm a Paul. Anybody need a Paul? I'm looking, I, I, I need a Timothy. Looking for a Paul. Hi, I'm a Barnabas. Looking for another Barnabas. You know, wouldn't it be nice if there was some kind of arrangement that happened? Actually, you have to pray and then go get them. And they usually happen outside the church. Because last time I checked, deep, true confession is hard to do in the midst of 150 people. Deep, true sharing is hard to do in the midst of 150 people. They tend to be best cultivated outside the church. Do you have them? Let me land this with this. Relationships are the tools of ministry. They need to be intentional connecting. They need to be relentless reconciling. We need to be intentionally seeking reproductive DNA. A while back, I was praying and, and just spending time with God going, wow, we got such a harvest field in Ohio. we got 11.5 million people to reach. Seven million of them, at least safely, do not know Jesus as their Savior. Lord, what's keeping us from being able to be a part of that as a region, as churches? What's keeping... And Jesus goes, hey, Kephart, shut up a minute and listen. Do you think I have the power to do it? And I went, I know enough to know I don't want to be lightning bolted. And the right answer to that is yes. Yes, you do. You have all the power. You are able, exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or imagine. Amen? Right. All the power. So it's not a power problem. Is it a harvest problem, Jeff? I mean, is, is, is the harvest all in? No, Lord, there are millions and millions. So, Jeff, what do you think the problem is? And I'm like, oh, Yeah. The, the clog is me. The clog is me. Because I'm not being intentional with the connections and I'm not being ruthless with the reconciliation and I'm not intentionally building reproducible chains of DNA in my relationships. So you will pray for me and if this is just therapy for me, thank you. Thank you all. I tell everybody I try to preach what God's telling me. And if it's helpful to you, that's just extra. My challenge to you is, will you go and get those relationships? Will you build those intentional connections? Will you today, if the Holy Spirit taps you on the shoulder, be ruthless about reconciling any broken relationships you know of? Will you intentionally say, Lord, show me the Pauls, show me the Barnabases, show me the Timothys, and I'll be the first one to go and ask. In fact, make a commitment that before the end of the day, you're going to ask God to show you and go ask somebody. Will you be a Paul for me? Would you be a Timothy with me? I need some Barnabases in my life. Can we just start meeting? And The devil is scared silly that the people of God will become intentional about their relationships. That they will get ruthlessly reconciling in their broken relationships. That they'll intentionally build reproductive DNA because he can't stop that. No pandemic will stop it. No social upheaval will stop it. No political junk will stop it. And he's looking for me and you to say, I'm ready to start. So as we close and the worship team comes, let's pray for each other. Heavenly Father, thanks. Thanks for your promise that if we seek you, we'll find you. If we seek you with all our heart, I pray 
for my brothers and sisters at True North, for my brothers and sisters throughout the region, for all of the brothers and sisters, regardless of the name over their door, that we will get godly, passionate, intentional about the relationships you've given us. And that as much as it depends on us, we will be part of seeing unity and multiplication of the kingdom in our relationships as brothers and sisters. And when the world looks at us, allow them to be able to say, see how they love each other? They must be followers of Jesus. Do that for us, Lord. Amen.